Hey there, everyone. From beautiful Fort Collins, Colorado, halfway between Cheyenne and Denver, and 5,003 feet above sea level, I'm Jeff Haber, and you're listening to No Bed of Roses. No Bed of Roses is brought to you by Conexus. Maybe your company is creating video content or you're a brand looking for that coveted direct connection with viewers. Maybe you're an established YouTube creator or you're just starting out. Conexus Interactive Web Video Solutions enables viewers while watching your videos to simply tap on the items they're interested in, directly connecting them to the merchant's shopping cart to easily purchase those items. This all happens without ever leaving the video experience and without ever leaving the site where they started watching the video in the first place. Connexus shoppable video content works using any browser on any device. No download, no plugin, nothing to install. Interactive video like you've always wanted it. Find out more at connexus.com. That's K-E-N-X-U-S dot com. Welcome back, everyone. Kevin joins us again this week to talk about some of the more interesting jobs we've both had over the years. So grab your black bow tie and your running shoes and get that freaking cart now, kid, or you'll never park cars in this town again. That and more. Here's Kevin. You know, it's funny because when I when I was in my very first pre-licensed real estate class in Orange County, I remember one of the instructors said, as soon as you get everything up and running and you're on your way, money, 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 money. He, <laughs> he, he had that kind of... Did he say that? that? Sort of, yeah. He's like, you guys are just going to be in the money, 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 money. That was his thing. Wow. The money, money, he would like to say that. It likes a series of the word money. Okay. You're going to be in the money, 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 money. And... Uh, I was like, great, that sounds wonderful. You know, and I had just come from, you know, driving a panel van delivering monster energy drinks to AM PM mini market gas stations, waking up at like four thirty in the morning, driving to Corona from Huntington Beach to pick up my van and have the guys in the forklift, you know, put pallets of 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 uh, monster energy in the back of the thing and I'm the, running all over the place. This, this may be a job that I was unaware of, Kevin. See, this is why it's a good topic today. This may be one that I didn't know you I don't think I knew you did that. Oh man. So yeah. many. I mean I, I I I had another job uh, as, as one of the first valley parking crews when they first built the House of Blues on Sunset. Come on. You um, know I worked at House of Blues, right? Yeah, yeah. Do we know? You, th- you, see, I don't. But I didn't know that you were valid. Maybe do I know these things and I'm forgetting them? Or I, you know, I mean, I, I, we may have probably oh, man probably talked about it over the years. But the 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 guy who ran the the uh, valet parking company was a subcontractor, and we were we were uh, doing an offsite valet parking job for Al Gore when he was in Brentwood visiting the secretary of the interior for some meeting or something like this. But the guy was, was so hostile, so mean, so aggressive. I quit that day. Right. The, the, the parking else. guy was really mean and hostile. The owner of the company. Yeah. yeah. He was just a, just 
one of a kind asshole. He was yelling at everybody and just super aggro and aggressive and just mean spirited. And so I finally took off my little blue vest and he was like, get your ass in the van. And he's like, we're going back, you know, cause he's like doing these loops to pick people up, drive them down, pick the cars, put them in the thing, do go back here. And then the van, the shuttle van would take you back up. And so long story short, I just had had enough of him. And so you're an asshole. You're being super mean to everybody for no, but no reason. And everybody's, you know, kicking ass and doing the best they possibly can trying their hardest. And this is a high, if, if Gore is there, secret service are there, this is a yeah. high profile party. And so, so he's so, probably stressing out of his mind. Yeah. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and so I just took off my little blue, you, you wear black slacks, <laughs> I was gonna... a white, a white shirt, bow tie? and running shoes, black, run, and a, yeah, a bow tie and black bow tie. running shoes because yep. they want you running. You're right. always running kind of yep. like Les Schwab tires. You're, you're always running. I just took my little blue vest off and hucked it up on the dashboard and said, you know, after I had my little say, and I said later, one of many crazy jobs. Yeah. Especially as, as an artist, you know, did he, um, wait, 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 you can't just, you can't just exit stage right out of that. So exit. he did, was he down on his Kevin? No, no, please. What, what is he? No, he fine. didn't You'll it. never work like, in this town like, again. What does he say? <laughs> You'll never work in this town again. <laughs> yeah. What is he? Right. What is he? Um, <laughs> oh, wait, but this was, but you weren't, you were on the Brentwood gig, right? You weren't at House of Blues. Yeah, so the guy, Chuck, who owned the company, he was a longtime career valet parker. And his his whole thing was in his office, the way you walk into a comedy club and you see all the comics pictures and they've signed their picture and it's in an 8x10 and they perform there and they're you know giving their picture to the owner of the club. This guy had his 8x10s of all the people that he had held doors open for and like no judgment but like okay dude you know i mean he's got a picture of him holding the door for ronald reagan he's got a picture of him holding so his whole thing was valet parking holding doors open for people this is this is awesome you know in la you can walk into your dry cleaners and the wall looks like that (laughs) right and they're not holding doors open but uh they're handing somebody their tux back for the Oscars, but it reminds, there was an old bit on, on SNL, Kevin, way back in the day, uh, I think it was international doorman school. And I oh, feel like, right? yeah. yeah and I feel perfect, like it was, perfect. I feel like it was either Chevy Chase or Dan Aykroyd. And they, it was a whole thing on the approach to the door, the grip of the door handle, the grip. you open Body the door, waiting for, yeah, is, cheat out, cheat, cheat your left shoulder out slightly. I got I got to Google that now, but I feel like international doorman school. He yelled at me a little bit more, called me a couple more names, probably like, get your ass back in the car. You little asshole. You're full of shit. You know, what are you going to do? Just quit where, you know, you're just going to walk away right now. You, we got job to do. Get your ass back in this van right now or you're fired. I'm like, no, I quit a little dust up. And that was that I had to hike back to wherever I had parked my car in Brentwood. Uh, in my little black slacks and white shirt and, and black Reebok running shoes. Just talking to yourself or whistling a happy song? What were you, you're, I was, you're just I going, was relieved. I'll show I was that like, guy. You'll see you. I'm just going to be the biggest valet ever in this town. He'll rue the day. <laughs> rue the day, I say. Rue the day. I yeah. Say. I was yeah. relieved. Rue I felt the... like out of, like I was, it was just a weight off of, like a burden had been lifted. Just, you know, when you're working around toxic people, it was just like he was, he was mean spirited, passive aggressive unfriendly. Um, I don't know how he stayed in business, honestly, but he was just, he was a mean, mean human. What do you mean? You just described every producer. What, uh, what this is how you <laughs> yeah, stay in business. Okay. It's yeah. just, uh, come on. This is this coin of the realm. Yeah. Coin just, of the realm. So that was, that was an interesting one. It cost so many in, uh, uh, in LA, particularly as you, you know, gigging 
like you know they call it the gig economy now that was just all we did that's right didn't have a name now it has a name had, did you wind up doing cars at the house of blues oh that's pretty much all we did occasionally oh, okay. if you wanted to make some extra money and make more tips and all that kind of stuff you could go on to to parties you know like private parties at at homes where they hired his company to do valet service. I remember I did a, a valet service offsite, you know, offsite of uh, House of Blues at somebody's house. And it was during the era of ER. And I remember Courtney Cox when she was Anthony Edwards. Who was she dating from? Who was she dating from? It, it was around the era of ER because it was a big, I think it was hit party for the ER cast and producers and something yeah. or other. But I remember it could have been Anthony Edwards. Were they, were they dating? I don't know. I'm just saying I, she I was with David Arquette forever and so and I'm trying to think I was a tour guide at Warner's 96 and that show was really friends in ER were the two big shows that were happening yeah, yeah. and I, I remember this little moment because as I was driving the van up the hill you know everyone who works there's an actor right and and some people are super aggressive like pulling the the Michael J Fox in the elevator taking his singlet you know one onesie overalls off with his business suit on underneath so literally one of the guys that I worked with after he's like parking the cars he would leave the van on the side and go try to get in the party kind of a thing come on and uh, <laughs> he's really crazy. it's a super obnoxious like over the top insanity I think the reason that the Anthony Edwards thing stood out to me is when I was pulling up to drop everybody off. Courtney was in the car and, and a few other actors from the show, but I remember there was some Top Gun reference, so it must have been Anthony Edwards because it definitely wasn't Tom Cruise or Val Kilmer or anybody like that. But it, right. So I, I did the whole sort of, as we're pulling up to drop everybody off, I said, Mustang, this is Ghost Rider. You are three quarters of a mile. Call the ball. And everyone in the van laughed. I loved it, huh? I was, that was hilarious. That was the entertainment. That was it. And look, he's funny too. <laughs> It's funny. Somebody, He's anybody, anybody have cash to tip the kid? No, I don't tip care. the I don't, kid. I don't tip carry. the nineteen-year-old crazy kid driving the van. I don't carry cash. He carries cash. What year were you at at House of Blues? I feel Probably like ninety-four. I, yeah, I was. I was going to say. So I was. Kristen and I had. I, we had a brief tenure there on the production team in ninety-four. So I was a camera utility guy pa for house of blues productions i think i told that's cool. when i escorted what a the cool club yeah oh my gosh the blind boys of alabama from across the across the street that was amazing i told you that story i right? didn't no no you didn't oh man so the blind boys i worked some great shows that's when hootie broke out mm. hootie was there five blind boys from alabama stevie wonder public enemy was one of the one of the more intense shows, but so many so many great shows man and yeah, lot, yeah. they were just doing this by the seat of their pants kevin it was weird and so the cool spanish style offices right right across the street that's where their uh corporate their executive offices were but you guys were a subcontractor but we were we were working directly for house of blues productions nice so the blind boys were over at the offices late afternoon. I had to bring them over to the club. So here we are, traffic, what, 60 lanes of traffic on Sunset yep. cranking. Picture the uh, the Beatles cover, Abbey Road going across the walk. So uh, except it's with me and five blind boys from Alabama in the, with their sunglasses, in their suits. And the way they walk is they put one hand on the shoulder of the guy in front of them. So we're standing on the sidewalk and I'm looking at, there's no light there. There's, I'm saying there's traveling. So, so yeah, this is me putting my hands up and I go, come on boys. And we stop traffic and we walk across nice. and we go, come on, let's follow Jeff guys. And uh, I got let's the five, go. um, I've got th the five blind boys of Alabama trusted them entrusted with their lives in your lives for, yeah, for eight, yeah, eight hour, eight, eight hours, eight lanes of eight lanes of sunset Boulevard traffic and going into, and, and then they 
tore up the club. These guys, I had never seen them before, Kevin. They didn't stop. I'm talking like Springsteen three and a half hours of (laughs) pure adrenaline. It was a revival meeting that blew the roof off that club. It was... It was a monster show. And these guys then were in their 80s, late 70s something, you know? That was a great moment, just bringing them across across the street. But you would have been... Did I walk past you? I mean, you would have been part. But wait, the valet, if I remember, uh, it was in the back, right? Wasn't it down the hill and in the back? Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember that. The valet parking area was kind of up through the back behind, and and then they would enter into the back of the club. And we would, like, during breaks, we could go in and you know, grab a soda or something and, and listen to whatever band was playing for a few minutes before running back out. But yeah, right, right through the back. I remember the foundation room, the entrance for the foundation room. That was the VIP yeah. club. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Being there in off hours was fun, you know, while, while the club was sort of sleeping dormant, you know, not, not rocking while they were just sort of in between shows or early in the day before it was up and running and humming to be able to explore around inside there. Just such cool architecture. And oh, the way that the, they it was beautiful. That, that bar thing that sort of opened up and it's, it could close the balcony it swung, up yep the, it swung yeah. out it swung out it was such a great gig and i was just pulling cable and then i worked in the production truck for a while and and actually kristen was punching up shots <laughs> kristen was punching up shots for the director it was so crazy i mean if i hung out another week i probably could have been the director it was so right. so punching up shots meaning like go to camera three yeah, go to camera five yeah, like that one yeah yeah <laughs> It was they. I remember Redfish Productions. They had bought this. They drove this production truck up. It was so Dan Aykroyd from Louisiana. Yeah. It was amazing. It made the trip, and it was the thing was <laughs> held together. It seemed like with duct tape. It was a fun time. It was. I bet I, I yeah. didn't know. Okay, so there's a wacky job for Kevin. Uh, you're the valet, and maybe you're in the back, and I'm in, and I'm inside. We may have, but we knew we each. Crossed paths. We, we knew were each like, other. Didn't we know each other at this point? Yeah, I mean, because Playhouse. Yeah, we're already, you know. Yeah. Right at the playhouse. You kept secrets yeah. from me, Kevin. I think you secrets. kept. Se- I think you kept secrets. secrets. Here, I thought I knew everything. All right, so that's cool. So you knew, so you did that, and then you you hung up your or you, you put down gently because you, you didn't throw <laughs> yeah, down. You I didn't, did as hard as I could. You, oh, you uh, did my blue vest. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's it. and stormed off. Hey, you know House of Blues is gone, right? Yeah, we, we actually went back on spring break and stayed in an Airbnb, literally right across the street from um, what's the comedy club? Um, comedy store. Comedy store, yeah. Comedy store's um, right there. House of Blues is like, you know, a hole in the ground with like gigantic construction yeah. and stuff. And I'm like going, what in the heck? Yeah, that was that was a, a very, very cool club. Interesting sort of first gigging job sort of experience early on. I was actually a, a, a messenger service driver. And one of my, my colleagues at the messenger driving company said, hey, this place I'm doing valet parking at night. And he was an actor as well. And he said, they need people. And that was pretty much how I, you know, all of us, I guess, bounced from job to job was, hey, they need people. So got it. Yeah, I forgot it from the from the guys at the, the messenger service. The messenger services where you're running around. And back then we were literally dropping off rolls of film that, that a production company had shot. So I was walking into like SKG offices or any of the studios. And that kind of gave me that early idea because I was driving onto all of these lots that, oh, well, I can get on these lots as an actor. Remember when we had pagers? I sure do. So I do the pager and clipboard trick. And I did this quite a bit. 
at 20th Century Fox on Pico back at the main gate. I thought, okay, well, I've driven in and out of here a bunch of times, dropping off whatever, like scripts or packages or manila envelopes of cash or whatever they're having us messenger around. So I did this a bunch and it worked. I was always blown away by the fact that it worked, but I would um, have a clipboard in my hand and be looking busy, like I'm you know, on purpose and on my way to do something. And I would be looking at my pager back and forth between my clipboard and my pager, my clipboard and my pager. And I would just walk past the tower, the guard, the guard tower at the gate, because there's a little sidewalk path that you just walk through. And especially it was kind of busy. And the guard booth. It wasn't a, the guard booth, right? Guard booth. Yeah, yeah the booth. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Tower makes it sound like a prison, which it could be. This was some people, but <laughs> looking down on you with a hold it with a spotlight kind of thing. But yeah, there, I, I got into studio lots doing that little clipboard trick. The very um, good. It's very good acting. You really sold it. But, and what do you do? What did you do once you got on the lot? I remember I dropped off headshots in a note one time to Chris. Who's X Files? Chris, the executive producer, Chris Carter. Carter, yeah. How do I remember these things? I don't know. Talked to some people there. I remember sitting in the commissary having a cream soda. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and, uh, okay, I've just, just gotten like, onto the Fox lot. Let's see yeah. things to do. <laughs> things to do. Let's go down the list now. Just stay on mission. Let's see. Okay, drop headshot resume. Chris Carter, check. Have. <laughs> <laughs> have cream soda have cream soda in commas <laughs> in commissary <laughs> and i just want to yeah, cut to you just going yeah just uh, like <laughs> with your <laughs> with your messenger oh man so i remember like <laughs> you know the story of like steve gutenberg like snuck onto some lot and like opened up his own law office like in some vacant oh office god this is that, that, like, that's like that's why i Joe, that's why I became a tour guide at Universal because of the Spielberg myth with him. Mm. Yeah, he had an office and an assistant and a driver. Nobody knew about it. And right, right. Yeah, yeah. Another gig that I was doing was, you know, when, when you're, like, say you're going to the shopping mall and somebody comes up to you and does a survey. Hey, can I do a survey for Not now. I'm uh, very busy. I have to get to Aeropostale and get these <laughs> right. socks out of my way. Signature boy. I have to get to uh, the body shop. You were inviting people to screenings of not not yet released movies to to get audience reactions. Audience, to they yes. Audience do we surveys. change the movie? Do we do something different? Do we? Yeah. You know, the malls were a great place. to Think do of that. how many jobs you could fit. Just pl- it's plug and play. You got you, all right. You need clipboard. Check pager. Check <laughs> pager. Sunblock <laughs> optional. Okay. Sunblock. Yeah. Yeah. Advisor. You're not supposed to be connected to, to the entertainment industry oh. or, you know, married to anyone or whatever, like a spouse or family member. So that's sort of the first prerequisite where you're talking to someone. You say, uh, hi, do you have a minute to, to oh, a I quick thought, survey? I thought, you meant for you, I thought you meant for you as the employee because that's that's ridiculous. Everybody that would be a no. I'm yeah, not it's not happening. Okay, right. So you're, yeah. Do you know anyone or have you ever sat next to anyone who is involved in any way, shape or form with <laughs> entertainment? With show business. <laughs> Pretty much disqualified yeah, everyone. everyone. Everywhere within like a hundred mile radius. Sorry. (laughs) You know, everyone does their version of whatever yes is for that. And, you know, because they want some free movie tickets. You have to interview them on the spot, quickly screen them out for the screening. Right. Yes. Would you. Hi there. Would would you be interested in taking a quick survey for some free movie tickets? And people most of the time say, oh, sure. So I'm doing my thing. and, And you you get paid based on how many people actually show up to the screening so you might get 100 signatures but you might have 20 people actually show up uh, what did you get per sucker i mean per <laughs> per uh, i don't know man candidates I, looking back, per, it might have been like 
$10 a head or something. Yeah. I don't even know. Mm-hmm. It was like ridiculous. I'm doing my thing. I'd probably been in, in the Beverly Center for an hour or something and probably making some, some good progress. And this guy kind of skips up to me. He's like, hi there. I, I want to be surveyed. I want to be surveyed. Please <laughs> survey me. I want to be surveyed. And he's he's in sort of a like a very stylish outfit, trench coat down a little past his knees and probably like some boots, like shiny army boots and like heavy rimmed glasses and like bleached hair kind of like slicked back. And, and you're looking around with, to the guy, the 90 year old guy with the walker and going, how, how about you, sir, 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 sir? The guy can't even hear you. I, I sir, you. sir, you're you. <laughs> if, if I pretend you're not there, you'll. You'll take that raincoat and the polished boots and go (laughs) find Jeff at Aeropostale and get a twofer on the socks. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. He's with a a lady who who looked sort of kind of Euro chic, sort of the same sort of like cool coat and like boots and stylish hair kind of like dyed, you know, sort of a kind of, as I recall, kind of like a reddish color and also glasses and like the handbag kind of drooped over her arm and like her arm kind of like up at, at 12 o'clock like yeah. her elbow you the know look, sort of like the look that you got hold in the bag and, for the look and, at my ten thousand dollar bag look yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah you know he's got my attention i was like sure okay yeah this is these are tickets for a free screening to the you know such and such movie um a couple of questions first um that that would uh, disqualify one from being able to get the tickets are you involved or part of or married to anyone in, in the movie industry he's like yes yes i am i'm a director and i'm like uh, yeah right so everybody is a director right you know it's like what i really want to do is direct and like everyone that you run into at beverly connection beverly center is as a director okay cool i said um and so what i would usually do with people god is, kevin i i really would pay money to see this because i can see you <laughs> even just that um where you just like, so we kevin might be able to work around this there might be a workaround um oh yeah kevin's thinking i got 10 bucks on the line here man yeah, 10, yeah, 10 whole bucks. dollars let me close How this guy make this work? <laughs> let me close this guy <laughs> I'm killing myself. Okay. All right. Good. It's great. And uh, (laughs) I said, well, technically, you know, we could probably do it, but you just, you know, you can't technically be in show business or in the movie entertainment business. Uh, And he's like, well, I just finished directing a movie actually right now. And I I was like, oh, really? Okay. Uh, Well, what movie are you directing? He's like, Romeo and Juliet. And I was like, oh, nice. I'm pretty sure I saw that, you know, like the one with Leonardo DiCaprio and Claire Danes. Uh, That one? And he's like, yes, that's my movie. And I was like, great. And I'm still like kind of going along with it going like, okay, whatever. I, I was like, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Good, great film. Also, I mean, so I'm guessing like strictly ballroom before that. Uh, he's like, yeah, absolutely. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Well, um, if I could just get your name and your information on here, then, you know, I can get you the tickets and we'll, we'll be ready to rock and roll. And then uh, Baz. Um, yeah, it was Baz. As we were kind of doing the paperwork and filling everything out and he's like kind of bouncing sideways and looking all over the place, kind of like hyperactive, you know, like very, very active. We're talking. I said, so director, great. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an actor, as a matter of fact. Um, he said, great. So what, what, what sort of things are you doing? And, and I said, well, I'm doing this and I'm working on that and, and doing some commercials and doing a lot of plays and, and some parts on TV. And he's like, great. I said, so are, are you doing something next? I'd love to be able to work with you. And uh, is there anything that I can do to help or get involved or watch or help out in any way and, you know, something like that? And he's like, tell you what, bring whatever you have, the picture or resume or whatever you carry with you. Just bring it to us at um, at Fox. We have a bungalow there. Um, 
we'll put your name at the at the security gate. Hold on um, a second. And Fox, that's your studio, you know, right? right. At, and that's like the whole connectivity of the whole thing, right? I'm like, I know this place. I had, you know, cream soda in the commissary. I'm good. Uh, that's, you own that and, joint. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's like my stomping ground. Yeah. And so I'm still kind of like, is this guy for real? Because I didn't know what he looked like at the time, or I didn't know from publicity or whatever, but it's starting to kind of gel a little bit. CM, who I think is like his wife or his, definitely his production partner that when I've looked through other other things that they've done, she I think it's Catherine Martin, I guess goes by CM. He said, and that's who was standing next to him. And she was pretty quiet the whole time. But um, he said, when you get there, tell them that CM is instructed for you to bring your package to us and, and, um, I think it was a person named Kevin, actually, or someone like that, or Kevin or Craig or something like that in the office. And you can chat with him and, and uh, let's see what, what we might be able to do. And I said, great, we'll do. And so I definitely did that, uh, you know, after I gave him his tickets and said, great, nice meeting you. And uh, uh, off he went. And I don't know if you ever attended the screening or whatever, but I, I took him up on the thing. And lo and behold, I went to the security gate. My name was on the board. I was like, holy shit, he was for real. Drove onto the lot, drove around, followed the directions, and, and got to the little bungalow, wherever it was. Went up, knocked on the door. A guy came out, kind of knew who I was or was expecting me. We chatted for a little bit. He said, great. He was for real. I always felt like being an actor was the greatest job in the world. You know, I guess from an inspiration perspective, you, you know, talking about the number of interviews or, or, or auditions that, that we've all gone on, right? You know, when you're early in your career in the trenches and just getting after it commercials were never my strong suit for you know some people were just booked commercials all the time and were great at it i had a real tough time with commercials i i went on well over a hundred commercial auditions before ever booking a commercial i was like i kept track of it in my little daytimer book calendar thing and and i had counted like 113 or 114 calls and a few of them had callbacks and you know so there was some light at the end of the tunnel but that's a lot of appointments to go on and not have anything happen from it in different contexts when people say, yeah, you know, I've, I've had like four interviews and I just have a hard time getting a job or finding something or especially like the younger generation that I'm trying to like sometimes inspire or whatever. It's like, well, I'm not going to, you know, harp on my story, but 113 account that like get in your car, drive somewhere, park, get out, go in, wait, do your thing, get back in your car, drive home. 113 times. That's a lot. I think you're lucky to so, have had 113. How many of us sat around just waiting for that pager to buzz, the phone to ring, something to get on another audition or a go-see? So many of us just didn't even get out. And you were hustling, you were doing your thing, uh, the messenger walking onto the lot to drop off resumes or creating your own management company and letterhead so that you could make submissions. And do you remember yeah, the breakdown mean, hustle yeah. that everybody yeah. used to do back in the day? Yeah. And <laughs> Remember that there was just so I mean, there's yeah, a whole yeah. ecosystem that thrives and survives on that desperation of actors, wannabe actors, people just trying to get seen, just trying to get auditions. So if you had that many, I think and it's interesting, yeah, your perspective is, man, there was a lot. Like theatrically, there was such a like a, the ratio was the polar opposite end of the spectrum for booking. When I first moved to L.A., there was a guy in the Bay Area in Northern California. I worked at a, at a coffee shop in high school, and I think he was one of the investors in the coffee shop, kind of a slick Jaguar driving L.A. type of dude with like, you know, fancy jeans and like thousand dollar shoes and, you know, cool no, dude. Steve Jameson, I think his name was. No socks. And, uh, fancy shoes, no socks. Yeah, you know, I was talking about my plans and, and I, I had known that he had been 
involved in, in the entertainment business on some level. He said, oh, okay, you're, you're moving in January. Very nice. Okay, well, when you get there, look up Harry Gold. Tell him Steve Jameson said to call. I said, great, will do. Get to town, look up Harry Gold. They were Gold Marshak at the time. Yeah. I remember Gary Imhoff, my acting teacher, introduced me to his manager, Marianne Daniels. I had coffee with her after acting class one afternoon um, on Robertson. She said, you know, Gary said that he saw something, some potential and, and thought I should talk to you. You know, what are your plans? What do you what do you have in mind with your career? I said, well, I'm going to get with Harry Gold. And she's like, oh, honey. <laughs> she's like, oh, no, 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 you're not. And I said, oh, yeah, no, yeah, I am. I um, have already reached out and, and I have a friend in the Bay Area who you know, introducing me. And she's like, no, no, you don't just walk into Harry Gold's office and get represented by Harry Gold. However, I know the people there. And if you want to you know, start booking commercials, that's a good way in because you don't have a resume and you don't have anything and you don't have any credits. And if you if you want to get a start, I can represent you and get you in the door there and you can start booking commercials and that will be a start. I said, great. All right, let's do it. And so lo and behold, you know, she was for real and got me in and can't remember her last name, but it was Samantha something at Gold Marshak in the commercial department, you know, went in and talked to her. And it was, you know, when I had long hair and I was 19 years old and literally in town for like a month or two and signed with them and started going on calls like crazy. And, uh, but I don't know what it was with commercials. It was just, I don't know. I have no explanation. It took a long time to finally book a, uh, like a local shoe store, industrial shoe warehouse commercial because it had skateboarding in it. And they, I, I did some skateboarding stunt work and also some on-camera stuff of like just antics, crazy, like physicality and stuff. But yeah, I mean, look, um, Kevin, you're going to be typed if they weren't casting for the son on third rock, which Joe Gordon Levitt got, you would have gotten it. Um, yeah. if, if they weren't looking for skater kid, then you weren't going to be working. I mean, with the way you looked when you, when you got to town, right? I mean, that's just, right. that's just the reality is, especially for commercials, which are just really so narrow. It's just yeah. all American family, the son, this is the daughter or skate rat kid. Yeah. Oh that's yeah. That, right? I mean, it's, so. it's, it's weird. I guess when you see, you know, I'm over here working at a coffee shop or six bucks an hour plus tips or whatever it is. And, and, and your friends are booking a Gatorade commercial and making like 300 grand a year for like working one day. And it's like how I want to crack that code and not have to work at the coffee shop anymore. But theatrically, it was a lot different, like getting with a theatrical agent and, and booking much sooner, like first couple of auditions, call back first, you know, right then, boom, boom. And then you're booking. And so there was something and, and I had cut my hair by then. So maybe, maybe that was the truth. I'm telling you, opened up the open up the opportunities. How do you say anything other than it's just completely wacky and there are so many people, you were fresh, you were there for a month. That's when you're interesting to everybody. We know that when you're mm -hmm. new, that whole ecosystem gets activated for who's going to grab you first, maybe, and see if they can get, if they can get something out of the fresh meat. Kevin, I was in the Valley at an office. I was up for through, through all these different relationships up for the lead in this feature which didn't happen very often for me. I was standing there in the lobby and this good looking blonde guy came in and dropped off. He was courier dropped off, uh, mm -hmm. had the pouch uh, slung over shoulder, dropped off some scripts or whatever. I didn't remember. And then split. And you know, he, when he came up, uh, I said, Hey, he said, Hey, you know, chatted up the, the girl at the desk and then split. And I was looking and I go, and I looked at her and I go, is, was, is that, was that? And she goes, leaf Garrett. And yeah. <laughs> I said, yeah, I thought so. He was a courier. I mean, that guy was a, that guy was a huge T 
15 star. Yeah, yeah. It was a bicycle car. It's carrier. weird when you look at some of those those cautionary tales or whatever you call them. You know, I mean, the, the, the yeah, that, that is true. There, <laughs> there is that, that angle of it where it's like the, the, your heart kind of sinks for those situations. And it, I, I can, I can relate for sure because in, in the point that you say with, with um, like fresh and you're new and you're like squeaky behind the ears and you know, that's, that's interesting and magnetic and, forever but you look at like the stylization is what casting is like these days you know what where where's your casting now where it was 20 whatever 25 years ago there's plenty of parts and there's different types and there's different characters and whatnot and there's i think there's kind of that attitude that starts marinating and or someone's consciousness begins to kind of marinate in a kind of an attitude and i found myself kind of going there sometimes where you get a little bit cynical or jaded you just said the thing about like when you're fresh and new and you're just in town you're like i'm gonna get with harry gold she's like oh honey (laughs) and uh there's there's that how do you how do you explain it naivete that's what it is you're just you don't know that you can't do it yeah you you don't there's like a a magnetism to that you truly absolutely well for the apparent reason that no Nobody has their hooks into you yet, and you could be that yeah. they could be the first. That's what's going on, and everybody loves everybody loves fresh, fresh. Everybody does, and who's that new kid? Who's going to be who's going to be the one to discover that new face? Who's going to bring something fresh and new? Because you know, you talked about the numbers. You start making those rounds of cycles, and people are seeing the same the same faces. This is why you, you find out some kid from a shopping mall in Dallas got the role, this lead role. And you go, what? I'm out here in class. I'm killing myself. Yeah, and this yeah, yeah. kid just showed up. He was having an Auntie Anne's pretzel and they pulled him into it. What? Right. How did he that happen? Yeah. yeah. Well, totally. So much for, you know, so much for all the money I spent on class. He's an actor. Right. Okay. That's it. Yeah. And then he's on panels and he's at South by and he's a genius and he's quoted. I mean, you just go, Oh my gosh. Yep. And that's, that's and, and that's the ecosystem. But I was watching a documentary on John Lasseter, Steve Jobs and Ed Catmull and really amazing to go back and look and see that the innovation and what we what we just take for granted now I do right. and I, I was around for for seeing this but the guys were talking about how there's just literally they were sharing one freaking computer four guys mm-hmm. and this is how uh, Lasseter was doing his first animation that they wound up oh pitching God. to Disney I mean the, the the trials and tribulations and the twists and turns and the fact that Toy Story got made is a miracle and it changed animation as we know it. But one of the guys was saying Disney execs and Jeffrey Katzenberg in particular gave so many freaking notes to this group of young animators and technologists that they lost their way, Kevin, they lost their true North. And so the rough presentation that they, that they submitted to Disney tanked Disney. said this is horrendous. It's unwatchable. Roy Disney goes, I was on two cassettes. I was just fast forwarding fast. It was horrible. How, and uh-huh. he asked, how did this become so horrible? And somebody said, well, it's not, it's not their movie anymore. And so wow. Disney pulled the plug and they were going to lose their, I mean, everybody was going to be unemployed. That was it. And and it was really John. This guy was, he was, he was brilliant and he was a brilliant animator and he was inspired and he was a natural leader. Apparently he was such a natural leader that when, when he worked at Disney, at Disney originally, he did this animation, Kevin, and this computer animation. He was freaking out the nine old men, the original mm-hmm. Disney guys. He came out of Cal Arts and had been trained by them, but he was freaking out all the all the animators at 
at Disney because they thought computers are going to take over. And so he did this thing, and I, I don't remember who the head of Disney was at this point, but the, he looks at it and he's, he's saying, so how much is it going to cost to make? Because Lasseter wanted to make a feature film, fully animated feature film. How long is this going to, what's this going to cost? Well, uh, it's going to cost, Lasseter goes, as much as a regular movie. And he goes, look, no. The only reason you do computer animation is because it's faster and cheaper. That was Uh, the end of the meeting. Ten minutes later, Lasseter said he got a call, go down this guy's office. He goes, well, John, you finished this exploratory project and your work here at the studio is done. So thanks. They fired him. Wow. And they let Lasseter go out the door and oh, he gets hired. He, he's depressed. He goes to yeah. a animation uh, and technology convention on the Queen Mary, Kevin. And Ed mm-hmm. Catmull, who is a brilliant uh, computer scientist who is working for George Lucas, you know, this just rogue group of guys doing this stuff. They had an idea, but they weren't animators. They were they were computer geeks. So they right. start talking. He hires Lassiter on the spot. And I saw something. Yeah. Right. I mean, they just, well, they start talking and, it's, you know, here's yeah. what, and his passion and his vision. And, and he and they, he had a need. See, he had a need. Catmull said, we couldn't get anim- animators to even talk to us. Nobody would do it at this point. So right. they needed him. And he came in. And so these guys are rotating on this computer and just, just insane. So they pull this thing off against really against all odds. And I'm not even going to go into the whole thing with jobs coming in and putting 10 million into the company. Uh, They built a computer to do the rendering. And George Lucas goes, look, guys, I don't want to be in the software business. I really don't want to do this. Jobs goes up to visit and meets Lassiter. And he says, what do you want to do? I want to make the first feature length animated film. Jobs goes, you know, there's just, okay, let's, let's make that. You know, I'm watching it, Kevin, and I'm practically crying. It just, I just need, you just want those opportunities. Where are those opportunities where somebody goes, okay, I believe in you. Let's go. Right. Give you that opportunity. Yeah. yeah. They have this vision and they deliver this thing. And then Disney says, no, they go back. And in two weeks, total rewrite, redo the whole thing, do a rough draft, go back. Lasseter goes, and it was good. It wasn't fully done. It wasn't great, but it was good. And Disney goes, okay, you're back on toy story. It almost didn't happen. And so they get it done, and then now the pressure's on to deliver the second thing. And this is the, my long way of getting to this thing. One of, the, one of the animators was saying, you know, now you have to actually work at having the naivete that we all had, the innocence that we all had, the not knowing that we couldn't do what we were trying to do that we all had. Now we have to yeah. work at that or fake that because mm. we've done this first one. So it's different. That's almost that superpower when you came to town, Kevin, and you know, you just go, yeah, I'm meeting with Harry Gold. Why wouldn't I meet with Harry Gold? I could do this. You just, you don't know. You haven't been beaten up yet. And there's power in that, right? There's power in that. And like the, the, I like what you're saying with sort of reinventing that because, you know, there, there's of course strength in, in the wisdom that somebody who has life experience brings to the table. I think now that we're talking about this also combined with that naivete, that freshness, that eagerness, that, you know, inquisitive open canvas type of feel that if you can continue to nurture that, that's, that's gold. It can be, it was work for them. And then the other thing that was interesting and might apply or might not was this guy said, and you realize that the happy mistakes, happy accidents that happened the first time, 
may not happen again and may not work again. For me personally, sort of my feet on the street, you know, master's degree at life, beginner's luck is what what uh, I feel like I can directly go back, like trace my steps back to having that sense of beginner's luck in a totally real, authentic way, you know, whilst being aware of that, having now, you know, at, at this stage in life, continuing to bring in that inquisitive, hopefully not too jaded, not too cynical perspective of still being a beginner, beginner's luck, while also having some wisdom in life that I think is also important and also attractive, you know, to, to bring into the fore. But I think the special, unquantifiable, special ingredient that just exists is always there. You just have to kind of like peel away these layers sometimes, because one of the things that I've been noticing a lot lately, you know, thoughts go through our head, thoughts go through my head. Those aren't necessarily true thoughts. And so you got to be careful about, you know, number one, recognizing certain thoughts that are going through your head are they counterproductive are they not serving you or not serving me as i you know go through this adventure and and continuing to have that sort of youthful exuberance and enthusiasm and and sort of inspired energy no matter where you go and i think sometimes it can come from or what you're doing or what your goals are what you're trying to accomplish right i mean professionally personally you name it but i, I can take this out of the, the entertainment business context and think about times like a few years back when I was working at HealthCast, remember when I was at HealthCast doing software? Yeah. I, I am the last person on that org chart that should have been there. I mean, I'm, I'm surrounded by PhDs and masters and people with computer science degrees. And I am like the ugly duckling of this total tribe that I somehow, I, I think by alchemy and by just that sort of exuberance of willingness and openness figured my way in the door and, and, you know, thus ensued a three and a half year software career with a bunch of heavy hitting industry, top level people. And I constantly was, I was so frequently feeling like a fish out of water, so out of place, like any minute someone's going to come along and like pull back the curtains and go, Oh, now we, we figured out who you are. You're an imposter. Okay. Pack up. You're out of here. Get out, get on your way. The Chris Rock suitcase. Yeah. Part of this is the the sense of uh, maintaining the sense of wonderment at what you're doing and what you don't even know that you might be doing. And it, that that could lead to who knows what opportunities. It's just it's so nonlinear. If you just if we just think back to the stories that you just shared from the valet or from the, the clipboard in the Beverly Center with Baz Luhrmann and Catherine Martin showing up. You just, it's nonlinear. Yeah, and it totally is. Are you ready when something presents itself? And and that readiness may or may not be the moment, but are you ready to be still open and filled with a sense of wonderment of what might be? A uh, sense of wonderment of what might be. Is that a little too woo-woo for everyone? For Kevin and I, in our pursuit as actors in LA, in New York, our lives were clearly non-linear. So this may apply to you directly in a linear way, or it may not apply to you, or it may apply in a non-linear way, or it may just have been some entertaining, some entertaining stories that we were able to share. It does seem 
that if we find ways to stay open to the possibilities, well, you just never know what might happen. That does it for this episode. Thank you so much for choosing to spend time with Kevin and I again. We hope you enjoyed yourselves. And of course, we'll continue to do this and we hope that you'll come back and join us again soon. And remember, you'll find No Bit of Roses wherever you find fine podcasts. Till next time, stay safe.